It's Wednesday, November 20th, 2019, 57 days into the impeachment inquiry and day four of impeachment hearings. And this is Impeachment Today. Good morning. I'm Hayes Brown, reporter and editor at BuzzFeed News. We're spending today catching you up on yesterday's hearings so you can be ready for more hearings today. Yay. We've got four witnesses and an estimated bajillion hours of testimony to go through, so let's get right to it. The day started bright and early at 9 a.m. in the House Intelligence Committee. First up, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, a White House National Security Council staffer, and Jennifer Williams, a Foreign Service officer detailed to Vice President Pence. Both have Ukraine in their portfolios, and both were listening in on Trump's July 25th phone call with Ukraine's President Zelensky. Here's what you need to know about the morning's hearing. Finman and Williams provided firsthand knowledge of both the call and several meetings at the White House that they found troubling. Democrats teased out more details about what the witnesses saw, and Republicans didn't. Instead, they opted to try to find the name of the whistleblower, diminish Vindman's role in the White House, accuse him of being a leaker to the press, and play the two witnesses' recollections off each other. As ever, the hearing began with questions from the chair, Adam Schiff, and the Democrats' main lawyer in these hearings, Daniel Goldman. Goldman laid out exactly what both Vindman and Williams took away from Trump's July call. So just to summarize, in this July 25th call between the presidents of the United States and Ukraine— President Trump demanded a favor of President Zelensky to conduct investigations that both of you acknowledge were for President Trump's political interest, not the national interest, and in return for his promise of a much-desired White House meeting for President Zelensky. Colonel Vindman, is that an accurate summary of the excerpts that we just looked at? Yes. Ms. Williams? Yes. Goldman also asked about a July 10th meeting at the White House with Ukrainian officials that was broken up when U.S. Ambassador to the European Union Gordon Sondland brought up the investigations. In a second meeting almost immediately after, Sondland apparently pushed even harder for those investigations. The specific investigations that Ambassador Sondland referenced in the larger meeting also discussed in the wardroom meeting? They were. And what did Ambassador Sondland say? Ambassador Sondland referred to investigations into the the Biden's Burisma in 2016. How did you respond, if at all? Um, I I said that uh, this this request to uh, to conduct these meetings was inappropriate. These investigations was inappropriate and had nothing to do with national security policy. Then over to the Republicans' lawyer, Steve Castor. When questioning Williams, he honed in on one point. If Trump's call with the Ukrainian president was such a concern, why didn't she talk about it with any of her supervisors or the vice president? She said she flagged it to her superiors and then left alone after that. Then Castor spent a solid chunk of time questioning Lieutenant Colonel Vindman about an offer he got to be Ukraine's defense minister. Vindman said that he basically brushed it off but informed his chain of command and counterintelligence officials. Castor pushed him on that point, all but insinuating that the lieutenant colonel cares more about Ukraine than the U.S., which Vindman smacked down. These are honorable people. I'm not sure if he meant it as a joke or not, but it's much more important what my, uh, my civilian uh, White House National Security Council chain of command thinks more so than anybody else. And frankly, if they were concerned about me being able to continue my duties, of course. Uh, they, would have, they would have brought that to my attention. Dr. The Daily Beast quickly got comment from the Ukrainian official that made the offer to Vindman. 
he noted it was clearly a joke. And then came everyone's favorite time, members questioning. The Democrats stuck to their guns, pushing the idea that, uh, yeah, it's really weird that there was an unofficial secret policy towards Ukraine, that Trump wanted the same things as everyone pushing that policy on Ukraine, and that it's very uncool of the president to want political rivals investigated. New York's Representative Elise Stefanik continued to be a standout on the Republican side. She again highlighted that corruption in Ukraine is a real problem and got the witnesses to say as much. She also got the witnesses to say that Joe Biden's son having a role on a Ukrainian natural gas company's board could be seen as uh, not great. Every witness who has testified and has been asked this has answered yes. Do you agree that Hunter Biden on the board of Burisma has the potential for the appearance of a conflict of interest? Certainly the potential, yes. And Ms. Williams? Yes. That's been developed into a talking point to imply that Trump was right to ask for an investigation into that specific company. Other Republicans spent a lot of time trying to suss out if Vindman knows the name of the whistleblower who first filed a complaint about the July phone call. And Chair Adam Schiff was like, what? No, y'all need to stop. Okay, here's the tea. Vindman says he spoke about the phone call to two people outside the White House, one of whom is a member of the intelligence community, who he declined to name. Vindman also said under oath that he doesn't know who the whistleblower is. But he knows who he talked to and probably at least suspects that person might be the whistleblower. So the Republicans kept on pushing for him to name the person he spoke to, knowing that they might be revealing the whistleblower's identity or at the very least getting a clue that might lead them there. That's why Schiff and Vindman's lawyer intervened. Outside the hearing room, members of the alt-right and conservative media spun up to say that Vindman himself is probs the real whistleblower, and he laundered his complaint through another person who these yabos have been saying is the whistleblower. I hope to not say whistleblower as much during the next segment. And then the White House tweeted out a piece of closed-door testimony from Tim Morrison, who appeared later in the day before Congress. He was Vindman's direct boss and said he had concern about Vindman's judgment. Well, here's Vindman citing his last performance review in July before Morrison took over as his boss. Alex is a top 1% military officer and the best army officer I've worked with in my 15 years of government service. He's brilliant, unflappable, and exercises excellent judgment. What a flex. Okay, that was the morning. Stick around and we'll give you an update on the afternoon's testimony and our nexometer reading of the day. ShefIt. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from ShefIt. Save $10 today at shefit.com slash 2022. Open to all teams and players, the NFL's Inspire Change Initiative acknowledges the ways that systemic racism contributes to barriers to opportunity and equality and focuses on ongoing efforts on creating progress in the areas of education, economic advancement, community and police relations, and criminal justice reform. To learn more about the NFL's commitment to ensuring a more equal and just future, text NFLIC to 635-635. It takes all of us to advance social justice. 
Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Okay, now on to part two of Le Hearing Impeachment today. I did not take French. Okay, at the witness stand were Tim Morrison, who is briefly the senior director for Russia on the National Security Council, and Kurt Volker, the former U.S. special envoy for Ukraine. Here's what you need to know about the afternoon session. Republicans hoped that these two witnesses would be a bit more helpful to their defense of the president, and it turned out to be about 50-50. While the witnesses confirmed the basics of a lot of the Democrats' case, the Republicans found plenty of holes to poke into the idea that the president committed a crime. Volcker handed over a ton of text messages that have been a core source of information for investigators since he resigned in September. On Tuesday, Volcker explained that he was working with Rudy Giuliani to try to keep the U.S.-Ukraine relationship from getting worse. And in his mind, trying to get an investigation of Burisma was totally unrelated to the Bidens. But he now realizes that everyone else working around him on the unofficial Ukraine team Giuliani led did not see it that way. As I said, um, there is a history of corruption in Ukraine. There's a history with the company of Burisma that's been investigated. Um, That is well known. Um, There is a separate allegation about the vice president acting inappropriately. His son was a board member of this company, but those things I saw as completely distinct. Now, this next bit takes the GOP members of the panel's argument, you know, sure, investigate Burisma, it's bad, and showed how that was not what the real issue was. It was always about the Bidens. And what I was trying to do in working with the Ukrainians was to thread a needle to see whether things that they can do that are appropriate and reasonable as part of Ukraine's own policy of fighting corruption that help clarify for our president that they are committed to that very, that very effort. Uh, if there's a way to thread that needle, I, I thought it was worth the effort to try to solve that problem. Uh, As it turns out, I now understand that uh, most of the other people didn't see or didn't consider this distinction, that for them it was synonymous. Volcker didn't always go where Democrats wanted, though. A White House meeting between President Zelensky of Ukraine and Trump has been brought up repeatedly as a necessity for the Ukrainians. But Volcker testified that he didn't think that the proposed meeting was being used as leverage to get the investigations that Giuliani and Trump wanted. But we know how this turned out. The statement from Ukraine about the investigations never came, and the meeting at the White House still has not happened. Goldman, the Democrats' lawyer, pressed Morrison on his previous testimony that there wasn't anything illegal in Trump's call with Zelensky. Here's what Morrison said. Um, But you, you would agree, right, that asking a foreign government to investigate a domestic political rival is inappropriate, would you not? It's not what it's not what we recommended the president discuss. Morrison also confirmed that Trump's ambassador to the EU told him that nearly four hundred million dollars in military aid would be held back until Ukraine agreed to announce the investigations. And we already knew that aid to Ukraine was held up on the order of Mick Mulvaney, Trump's acting chief of staff and head of the Office of Management and Budget. Others have testified that he did so on Trump's orders. Now, here's an interesting new detail from Morrison. 
Final question, when was the, the hold lifted? Uh, as I understand it, the president gave that direction the evening of September 11th. Which was two days after Congress announced an investigation. Were you aware of that? I believe I was familiar with the letter from the three committee chairman. Now, that's the first confirmation that it was Trump himself who ordered the freeze lifted with just as little explanation given as when it was put in place. The Republicans' lawyer used his question time to paint the whole Ukraine thing as business as normal. Here's Volker talking with him about the aid freeze. No, it's something that had happened in my career in the past. Uh, I'd seen holdups of assistance. I just assumed it was part of the decision-making process. Somebody had an objection, and we had to overcome it. And in fact, um, there, there were concerns that you know perhaps President Zelensky wasn't going to be the reformer that he campaigned on? Uh, that was a supposition that I made um, because of the meeting uh, with the president on May 23rd. I thought that could be what's behind it. Volker also shared his take on the conspiracy theories floating around involving Ukraine interfering in the 2016 election, which became the basis of Trump's whole view on Ukraine. And you could summarize Volker's view as, meh. And my view was, well, if there are things like that, then why not investigate them? Uh, the chan- I don't believe that there's anything to them. If there is, 2016 election interference is what I was thinking of. We would want to know about that. But I didn't really there was, believe there's anything there to begin with. But again, Volker said earlier that the people around him did not see things the same way. We had one more round of questions from the lawyers. And with that, it kicked over to the committee members for questions as people everywhere contemplated what they wanted for dinner. Now, I wish I could say that the members' questioning shed new light on the case, but as of 7.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm sorry. I was taught growing up not to lie, so I cannot say that that was the case. Okay, but before we wrap up this recap, here's Adam Schiff explaining pretty dang clearly exactly what's under investigation here. Bribery does involve a quid pro quo. Uh, Bribery involves the conditioning of an official act for something of value. Um, an official act may be a White House meeting. An official act may be $400 million in military aid. And something of value to a president might include investigations of their political rival. Okay, after all that, it's time to take our reading from the handy-dandy Nixometer. Well, I'm not a crook. On our scale, a zero is a normal day in a normal White House, and ten is President Richard Nixon resigning and flying away in Marine One. This morning, we're at a 7.1 again. There was a lot in Tuesday's testimony, but it lacked both the groundbreaking news from day one and the president refrained from injecting himself into the process as clearly as he did in day two. The witnesses clearly spelled out how the alleged scheme to exchange investigations for a White House meeting and then later for an aide worked out. In the back half of the day, though, the witnesses were a bit more skeptical that that plot even existed. But by then, most people were probably tuning out some, me included, a little. All right, it's time to testify. And I hope you're not too burned out because we have one more day of testimony after today's. On Thursday, we have two more officials appearing before Congress, Dr. Fiona Hill and David Holmes. Hill was the senior director for Russia on the NSC before Morrison took over for her when she resigned in July. She's got a lot to say about the conspiracy theories that influenced Trump's views on Ukraine and was in several meetings that Vindman described today. You can go back to yesterday's episode to learn more about her. Next to her will be Holmes, who's a newcomer to this whole affair. He's the political counselor at the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine and first came forward to Congress last week after his boss, Ambassador Bill Taylor, testified about a call that Holmes overheard between the president and Sondland. 
He also apparently said behind closed doors that it was very clear to him that there was a deal on the table for the aid to be released only after Ukraine launched these investigations. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for sticking with us and listening to all of that. Tomorrow, we'll have your recap on the second day of impeachment hearings in this week's Grand Prix du Snitching. But before we go, as always, we want to hear from you. And this week, we want to know, as the hearings start to pile up, what are you still or newly confused by? What just doesn't make sense? Open the Voice Memo app on your phone, record your message, and send it to us at impeachment at buzzfeed.com. Or just send me a direct message on Twitter. I'm at Hayes Brown, and my DMs are always open. Be sure to subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or Apple Podcasts, and uh, please leave us a rating or a review or both. Also, tell your friends about the show as we figure all this out together. If dog people made dog food, it wouldn't be sold in a 50-pound bag in the hardware aisle by the shoe polish. It would actually be food. It would be made with real, fresh meat and veggies gently cooked to preserve their nutritional value. You know, like food. The Farmer's Dog was created by dog people who cook and deliver fresh, healthy food. Try the Farmer's Dog and get fresh, pre-portioned meals tailored to your dog's needs. Tell us about your dog, build your plan, and get 50% off at thefarmersdog.com slash listen. That's thefarmersdog.com slash listen. Hello, hello. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but my podcast, Checking It, has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in the category of Outstanding Lifestyle and Self-Help Podcast. I'm grateful for the nomination. I, I almost didn't even do a podcast because I was just wondering, there are thousands of podcasts out there and why is my voice needed? But a nomination from the NAACP lets me know that um, I made the right choice. And I encourage you to do, don't worry if there are thousands of something out that you want to do. No, nobody has your sauce. So listen, you can still vote. Go to vote.naacpimageawards.net. You have until February 5th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please listen to my podcast. We're a part of the Black Effect Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for checking in. I'm John Gonzalez, the host of SI's new podcast, Sports Illustrated Weekly. Sports Illustrated has delivered some of the best storytelling in sports for 70 years. And now that continues on our show. Each week, we'll dive deep into the best stories from around the sports world. Sports Illustrated Weekly is available every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now.